0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710
1: ESPN Seattle.
0: Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com.
1: Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul
0: Gallant. It wasn't as bad as it felt. I mean that seriously. The Mariners' 4-1 loss to the Oakland Athletics last night at T-Mobile Park was not as bad as it felt. Yes, they struck out 392 mm. times against Sean Manet.
2: Why is no, he so Ra- good against the Mariners? Can you calm down, Sean Manaya?
0: Yeah, they, they, they struck out an awful lot against him. Rafael Montero's still not very, I don't know, what's the technical term? He's good. bad, Danny, come on. Let's, let's just call it what it is. That 4-1 to one loss was not as bad as it felt, though. It was
2: not as bad as it felt. I'll go with you there because it should have been
0: maybe a 2-1 loss, right? And those two runs were scored. There was a lot of bleeders in there. This was death by a thousand paper cuts. Well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna freak out about it. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. Wasn't one cut a little bit bigger
2: than all of the other ones? Just the entire Rafael Montero experience. And you know what, Danny? If the Mariners are a good baseball team, can we have some standards? Can't they find somebody other than Rafael Montero? Come on. I mean this He wasn't the problem last night.
0: But he's he wasn't a problem the problem all year. And it's- he wasn't particularly good. The first run that he gave up was off of all soft contact. I know, I know, and I'm there right with you. I don't like it. I don't like it. I felt that when he came into the game, I was like, this is the equivalent of ordering a round of shots at 150. Well, you said like, is the, bad. Th- this is the equivalent. Yes, it was a bad idea from the beginning, and the result was eminently foreseeable. Only a bad idea the next day. Look, I, I look at this situation, Danny. You can do better than him.
2: You can do better than him. I understand what you're saying. I understand it wasn't the worst Rafael Montero experience, but come on, you could do better than him. He's not the reason they lost it. It
0: wasn't that bad. In the overall <laughs> Rafael Montero experiences, that one's I well, would I would I the- would be more I would be more willing to chalk that one up to poor luck. <laughs> okay. And look, it was so much with the first run, it was all on soft contact. The, fir- the the first run they gave up in the game was was a shot off. You're of, such an of Chris, understanding parent, Danny. Chris since I'm just saying. I'm saying, like, let's not blow it out of proportion. Well,
2: <laughs> like, oh, that's what happens a, whenever Montero comes in a game. <laughs>
0: it's a start of, it's, it's a start of a week long homestand that's incredibly important. The Mariners didn't play that bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. You can't even say this with a straight face. Come on. I can't. It's it's unfortunate the way that things
2: went down, and you know what we've been seeing out of Chris Flexen of late
0: out thirteen times. Yeah.
2: Yeah, look, the offense it's it's got some limitations too, and this is why I had some reservations going as far as as you wanted to yesterday calling them uh, a good team it's they're it's, a good team
0: but the offense has to be better than this to be a good team doesn't it e- even good teams lose games like that yeah e- even good games we should not blow it out of proportion we should not blow it out of proportion and say that wasn't it wasn't a specifically bad loss the first run is scored off of a ball that is hit off of chris flexen's leg if if it doesn't hit him it's it's fielded by dylan moore they're out of the inning Rafael Montero came in and no, he did not have success, but it was soft contact. It what I mean, there, I've seen him get roughed up before and I've seen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was good, but, but that four to one loss should not be one that feels like a stomach punch. Cause it wasn't,
2: it doesn't feel like a stomach punch to me. It's a symptomatic loss. It's some of the issues that you have this year and every single team has issues. These are the ones that you have. Your offense is not great. And if. You do not get the relief from your bullpen on a night where the offense is not great. Then this is likely going to be the result because um, you know Chris Flexen. This was an okay start, but this was a down-to-earth start for him, right? It was okay. P-
0: no, man, you give up two runs as a starter. It's a good start, right? You give you give, but, up, you give up two runs in the, as a starter, and you get into the second half of the game. Yeah, has he pitched better? Yeah, there's been other outings mean. that he's that he's be- that he's been more effective. But this is a good start. Relative, he, he, he was a he was a good start. Your your lineup didn't hit. Your dry, your lineup struck out entirely too much, but even then, you had some scoring chances and they didn't come home. This wasn't. This is one of those kind of games that you lose to another good team. Uh, and it I'm, was not one of those sort of. Hey, all their warts are on display here.
2: I want to be clear. I'm not. I'm not blaming Flexen here. This is. I just feel like a more realistic performance from Chris Flexen, right? I mean, he's been eating up the Angels and the and the Rangers and stuff over the last month, and he's had a really good season and he deserves credit for it. I feel like though, this is one of those games where, oh yeah, Chris Flexen's like. You know, maybe a three or a four or something like that. And while he gave you what he
0: needed, I mean, th- right, that's... If you get that start from Chris Flexen every time out, you sign up for it and don't think Oh, so. I
2: agree. I agree. Don't get me wrong. But I- I'm just saying it was a little bit more of a realistic performance because he's looked dominant at times over the last month
0: well let's let's hear how the Mariners scored their only run it was the bottom of the seventh like I said they struck out 392 times or 13 times against Sean Manaya Tom Murphy he of the crazy eyes is the one who scored and accounted for the Mariners only run the next pitch swing destroyed
2: absolutely obliterated out to left field
1: by the stairwell. Take cover! Tom Murphy puts the Mariners on the board. His eighth of the season cuts the A's
2: lead in half.
0: It's two to one at the bottom of the seventh. Mm, get hyped! They had a couple of scoring opportunities late. They didn't get enough. Ba- they didn't have enough base runners to be a real fa- uh, a real factor. Yep. But. It's not like they got bludgeoned either. Here's Ramon Laureano from the A's. He drove in the game's first run, and it wasn't through the wickets. That would have actually been successful for the Mariners. Nope, it went off of one of Chris Flexen's legs. Here's the 1-1 pitch. Winging a shot up the middle. Off the foot of Flexen. The ball rolls to the third baseline. Here comes Andrews on the score.
2: Flexen picks up the ball. No play anywhere. And the Athletics have a 1-0 lead. How long do you think it takes to shake something like that off?
0: Two minutes? Three minutes? No. I I think it either hurts you or it doesn't. Right? It either hits you so hard that you really can't pitch. Like it really, like it injured something. Or you're able to just like, okay, it's fine. I'm, I'm okay. Right? Like you're either hurt or you're not. I know whenever I stub my toe, it's usually a good minute.
2: A lot of profanity. And I Paul,
0: like... you're not a professional athlete, and I don't know if you, the sure. the impact of you stubbing your toe is comparable to Listen, a major just... league baseball player <laughs> taking like <laughs> if that's a, if that's a fair control level. I'm not level. trying
2: to make a comparison here. I'm just we're just talking pain tolerance. It's a
0: curiosity question. <laughs> how much? How long do you think it takes to shake that off? I I think if you're a pro athlete, you're either hurt or you're not. Okay. Like, either either you're able to take four steps on it and decide, okay, this is something that I can adjust to and play through. Or it's like when James Paxton, he once took a line drive off the arm. And then it was notable because a couple hosts on here wondered if they would have been able to pick up a ball and throw to first base afterward because (laughs) – Paxton could not. Like, it hit him, and he was like, ow, and then he reacted, and then he couldn't pick up the ball, and there was a sort of question about the pain tolerance, and Ryan Divish, I thought, had a really good suggestion, is if you're going to do that, the way to test that is to set a a, a pitching machine to 95 miles an hour, ow. and have it hit your arm, and then see if you can pick up. Would you like to take the line drive off of your foot that Chris Flexen did so you could report back to us on how long it took? Uh, well, I am low-key curious. It is a Friday, so... <laughs> Let's see what happens. The other thing that happened yesterday, Paul, was that apparently there was a green light given to all NFL players for the crazy COVID ticks. Mm-hmm. It's time for all of your thoughts about the vaccines, and it was unleashed upon Twitter. And I, I thought one of the I thought an open engagement like this was going to result in a calm and rational discourse in which we would all arrive at a common conclusion upon the best protocols to go about for playing professional sports in this still pandemic. Post-vaccine development time. Oh, oh, I was wrong because DeAndre Hopkins is saying he might have to quit. Some guy named John Feliciano, whose nickname on Twitter is Mongo, was saying that it was man-made and and name-checking the the, the head of the National Institute for Health. Like all, it, it just it just became a big mess. I think the one thing maybe you could take away from the
2: entirety of that experience, Danny, online on there, is that maybe maybe some of the doubts. And the disagreements about the vaccines available aren't necessarily drawn over political lines. So that's that's
0: at least something. I hadn't thought of that. But you're probably right. I like guess it's, it's generally been the vaccine discussion has been characterized as uh conservatives versus liberals. And that's probably not the key differentiating and I don't wanna I don't wanna understate or say that, hey, it's all liberals that are in among NFL players, but it's it's probably it probably skews more in that direction because of you. It, and it's not about, I, I would agree with you. I don't think the division is about po- politics in the NFL among NFL players, and there's a significant chunk. I'm not sure how big it is. I don't know if it's 44% like the general populace that's unvaccinated, but there's a significant chunk that we saw are very reluctant to be able to get it. Leonard Fournette said he was not. He could not do it. DeAndre Hopkins said he was DJ Reed, a member of the Seahawks, said he did get it, but he felt pressure to do so, and he doesn't know how to feel about that.
2: Right, and I think maybe also we saw in full display just how little power the NFL Players Association has in that there is not a lot of new news that came out yesterday even though the reaction to it was of oh wow there's going to be forfeits that was actually in effect last year and I have I have some thoughts about whether or not they'd actually go that that forward but man the NFL players association just does not
0: have a whole lot of power there they could not stand up to the NFL in the slightest it's Danny and Gallant. We'll talk a little bit more about that situation, and I'm sure we'll come to a much more calm and reasoned conclusion or at least get a lot of text messages when we get you know back what? into that. It 7:30. wasn't terrible yesterday
2: when we, when we dove down that path, so maybe, this, maybe we could do it two days in a row. Let's see.
0: It's time for Front Page News. This, this is the Front Page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now.
2: Well, Danny, the probably cheapest option for the Seattle Mariners at the trade deadline and the guy that we all know the best is not going to be a Seattle Mariner, Nelson Cruz. He was shipped off from Minnesota to Tampa Bay in exchange for, I believe, four players, a bunch of minor league pitchers. I'm bummed out because I thought that would be the easiest way for them to improve the offense at the trade deadline. Probably wouldn't have been particularly expensive. I looked at those guys in AAA, not knowing a whole lot about them. Does not seem like any of them are some sort
0: of -of out-of-this-world prospects. So I'm a little disappointed. What did you think about this move? I'm happy for Nelson Cruz, and it did not make sense for the Seattle Mariners. It didn't. There are four four players involved. There were two pitchers that went from... That went from Tampa to to Minnesota that they got. And Tampa's picking up the bulk of his salary. DH is kind of where they're stashing and using it to, to play and get more playing time for more players. Luis Torrens is, is hitting at DH. I don't think DH is the biggest need for this team. And in fact, with Kyle Lewis, who hit off a tee yesterday he did who hit off a tee yesterday a tee not a, another word I, I, yeah i think I, I think that means we're pro- we're going to see him back this season which is hugely encouraging in my mind when he comes back that's going to be even more of a factor they've used their dh i don't think dh productivity's been the problem for for the mariners so i don't have an issue with them not going down this route i'm happy for nelson cruz it should be a good opportunity for him with tampa good points he is better i would say as a designated
2: hitter than any of those options you have but with the way some of these guys are hitting right now, yeah, I can understand that logic. I still wanted them.
0: <laughs> the front page. The NHL draft is tonight. The expan- Not the expansion draft. That was two nights ago. The actual draft tonight. Do you want to hear who John Bucci-Gross saying that Ooh, he thinks you think you should keep an keep an eye out? Uh, Seattle has the number two overall pick in this draft. Here is Bucci-Main
1: the crack they're probably going to draft maddie veneers number two overall he's played at michigan last year will likely go back to michigan this year he's a full-grown man comes from an athletic uh high achieving family cornell the whole thing good grades uh, he had a weight room in his basement during the pandemic so he got to work out um just a really impressive kid uh, you know a lot of times bosses will hire people who remind them of themselves and I think Ronnie Francis is going to look at Matty Beneers and says, he reminds me of myself. I play both ways. I'm good at everything that I do. Not great in anything, but good at everything. And he's going to be the pick, I think, and just the perfect guy to, uh, for the Kraken's first pick.
2: Both ways and good at everything. That's, I think, a great building block to have if you draft a young player. Obviously, though, what's unfortunate about the NHL draft, much like with baseball's draft, you will not see this
0: guy for a while. So it'll be a ticket for the future that you'll hopefully Correct. cash in a couple of years from now. Yeah. I also like how in hockey we immediately go to Maddie. It's not Matthew, it's not Matt. Maddie Beneers. Maddie like Beneers. Like most people will say, like Maddie, Maddie sounds like he's in third grade, much like Danny does. But Maddie Beneers. Like there's no doubt he was gonna be Maddie Beneers. Like that that's just hockey hockey terminology.
2: Baseball, I think you would get a Matt, every now and then a Matt would be called a Matty. But no. only in the clubhouse. Not necessarily what? as
0: his official name to the entire public. Do they call him Matt Olson? Nobody calls him Matty Olson. Hey, Even if you Matt. can't do it
2: to first name, you do it to last name. Like Correct. Patrice Bergeron becomes
0: Bergy. Oh. Well, that's baseball nomenclature because in baseball, if your last name does not end in an E sound, the E sound gets either added right. to your last name or a shortened version. If your name does end in an E sound, the E sound gets gets cut off. Like that. that no longer is there. The more you know. But you're right. (laughs) It's Danny and Gallant. That is front page news. Let's get to the professor in time for our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with
2: Danny and Gallant.
1: It's a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL from the professor John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive
2: with
0: Danny Danny and and Gallant.
2: Uh! Professor, we saw a lot of hullabaloo over the NFL, I guess, putting it out there that there will be forfeitures if certain teams have a COVID-19 outbreak. This isn't all that different from last year, though, right? I mean, it feels like, to me, this league, which loves its money, would bend over backwards to make sure a game takes place, even if there is a little bit of COVID issues.
1: Yeah, but you can, you can see that uh, what obviously the strong arm position of the league is to try to get more guys vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And by doing it the way that they did, because at least last week or last year, you knew that they had the 18th week. If they need to make up games, they could make up games. Now they don't have it. You have a 17 game schedule over 18 weeks. You don't have those openings. And so now uh, there's, very little flexibility in what they're going to do. So if you do have an outbreak of uh, unvaccinated players who end up, uh, you know, having an outbreak that has them miss, you know, has them potentially having to move a game, they're not going to move the game. And you can see where the anger is among a lot of the players and a lot of different people around the league in the standpoint. Okay, so if you forfeit a game, what happens? One, one team wins, and the uh, uh, team that's unvaccinated loses. But both teams end up not getting their players any money. They lose their game checks. And so that is, I think, uh, getting players upset. And then on top of it... What will end up happening is that, uh, and we don't know how the price of this is going to be, but the, the team that has the forfeit has to make up the money from the TV revenue and everything else. And so it's it's going to be pretty solid that it's like if you have any kind of a problem with uh, unvaccinated players getting positive tests and having any kind of thing of that nature, we've already had you know with the waiver wires just starting to come in for the players that are starting to report. We've already had two positive tests. But uh, yeah, if you have some problems with unvaccinated players getting positive tests, you have big problems and it's really going to cost players and it's going to cost teams. And if you have you know, 85% of the league right now, uh, there's, there's 14 teams at 85%, 78% of the league right now has vaccinated players, but that's still in the league sense, not enough.
0: I get the sense that yesterday the reaction that we saw from the players cuz you as you just pointed out so the national percentages are 50 56% of people 12 years and older across the country that's the most recent estimate i've seen from the cdc have been vaccinated the number of nfl players is significantly higher than that if you have 14 teams which is almost half the league that have more than 85% like you have a, you have a, that that's a that's a pretty high number the guys who have not gotten the vaccine have presumably been pressured and talked to about it like coaches and teams are encouraging them to and yesterday with the announcement from the NFL that was kind of one more nudge and those players felt really backed into a corner and I think that's why we saw so many of them speak out what what did you think when you heard yeah, like the, DeAndre Hopkins saying he might retire instead of getting a vaccine he doesn't want to partake in
1: yeah I mean that's that's uh you can see like for example Matthew Juden of the uh, New England mm-hmm. Patriots I mean he ripped a union for allowing this to happen Uh, You can see that Jalen Ramsey was upset about it because he talked about, hey, I know two vaccinated players in this league right now that uh, have positive tests. But you can see the reaction is so negative because we're at the stage right now where where so many of the players that aren't getting vaccinated aren't getting vaccinated. And, you know, they don't like the pressure. Like Hopkins ended up posting a tweet that he might retire. Then he pulled the tweet back and then talked about he wants to play nine more years uh, after putting a new tweet out there. And so it's like, okay, but there's a negative reaction to it. But again, it's like, uh, you know, uh, you can understand because I mean, look at the consequences of the players that don't get vaccinated. I mean, number one, I mean, they risk what happens within their locker room with, with the team. Number two, they're not going to be able to go on the team charter and, Fly to road games. They're not going to be with their team for lunches and all those different things. They have to wear masks all day, uh, except when they're on the field. And so you can see that the league has continued to ramp everything up to get these guys to get vaccinated, which only makes sense because, again, what you don't want to have is like the outbreaks that were there in Baltimore, Tennessee, and other teams that forces anybody to move a game. And now what it is, they're not going to move the game.
0: John. Stephon Gilmore reported to training camp. We have that report out there. There was some uncertainty. He had not shown up at the mandatory minicamp that the Patriots had. Uh, do you think this is a sign that he's staying with the Patriots this year, or is this a prelude to a trade? No, he's
1: staying with the Patriots. I mean, it's not, not that he's happy. He wants a contract uh, with enhanced. He's probably not going to get a contract enhanced. And so instead of getting fined and doing all those different things, you know, he's going to stay there in New England. You know, because, again, New England's trying to do the best they can to see if they can win this year and be a good team but i would no. he's he's right now and right now apparently the patriots have kind of been told him they're not planning on trading him so i think that uh, the thought was there that it was going to be something that could be in the cars i mean i know he only has a seven million dollar base salary but it looks like at the moment an unhappy stefan gilmore who went on the pup list is going to stay in new england
2: John, we heard from Mike Garofalo that the timeline, that a Jamal Adams deal maybe is on the table and that he might be, if he signs it, the highest paid safety in the NFL. What kind of timeline do you expect a deal to be finalized in? Like eh, how many days, how many weeks do you think it would take? And is it maybe in the Seahawks' best interest to get it done sooner rather than later? Because I would imagine it would give them a little bit of extra cap space to maybe go after some of the guys that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, like you
1: Atkins sooner, sooner better than later, but uh, it's still going to probably go into the middle of training camp, you know, because what you're talking about is 15.25 million. It's the highest paid safety as Justin Simmons of Denver. And clearly Jamal Adams is going to get more than that. But what I thought was interesting, and I think plays into the Jamal Adams contract. And I don't know if this message came across to him is that, uh, you know, Fred Warner got his deal. Now it's, has been reported initially, and I always warn everybody: when the initial reports come out, wait till the contract is seen before you make any judgments. And sure, it was five years, $95 million, and you know it's $19 million a year. But as it turns out, it's basically a three-year deal with two voids and so it's 18.3 million only $300,000 over Bobby Wagner and so it's like it's not that big jump now again the team has the ability in San Francisco to go ahead and uh, get him the 95 million but they have to buy out buy the final 2 years and get him that extra money and so if that's going to be the case you know Adams you know if he's trying to get 17 or 18 just not going to get it. And so if he's willing to accept in a $16 million range, then a deal can get done. And also the earlier a deal can get done. And it's not a matter of just adding players. It's a matter of also figuring out what to do with some of the unsigned players for next year. You know, Dwayne Brown's an important guy that they need to try to figure out if they can get a uh, contract extension with. So no, I think in the end, what they need to do is go ahead and uh, get it done as quickly as possible. But I still think it's going to take toward – I think once they start playing the preseason games, that's when
0: something will get done. John's right to point out, and he cautioned us as soon as the Fred Warner contract came in to like, let's see the – you can see when the final numbers came in why it was announced the way it was because it was announced as a $19 million per year average, which is a million dollars more than the deal Bobby Wagner got. Mm-hmm. But the, the guarantees – like the actual guarantees, he got guaranteed $250,000 more than Bobby Wagner did. It is much more similar to the deal that Bobby Wagner signed two years ago than Mm. it is an improvement over that deal. John, we always appreciate the words of wisdom and the caution to, like, let's not get carried away with with conclusions. We'll look forward to hearing you. You answering calls tomorrow, 8 to 11, the John Clayton Show? 8 to 11 on the John Clayton Show. Professor, we appreciate it. it. Okay, thanks. Thanks. The Cleveland Indians have a new nickname. (laughs) mm-hmm. it's terrible it's an absolutely awful nickname
2: and they are pulling out all the stops to seem like it's not that lame i don't think it worked out for him though
0: the least impressive nickname unveiling ever next you're listening to danny and gallant
1: powered through the alaska Airlines studios
0: on 710 espn seattle
2: now here are your hosts danny o'neill and paul gallant Cleveland has a new baseball team nickname.
0: I got a lot of questions. I I got some questions about the rollout. I also have some questions about the nickname. I also have some questions about Hanks' origins.
2: Let's start with the actual nickname, Danny. They did not go with Cleveland baseball team, which is good. They did not go with Cleveland Spiders, which I think is bad. There's actually some historical connotation. There yeah. There aren't many team nicknames that are actually spiders in all of sports. I believe the only one in North American sports are the Richmond Spiders, who are a uh, um, football uh, championship subdivision school. So that would have been a good one. Instead, they chose to go with the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah.
0: Danny's face says it all. Well, it's just, it's, the whole thing sounds like the off-brand video game that wouldn't pay the licensing fees, (laughs) right? So instead of getting the actual teams or actual players, you got the numbers and knockoff teams. Like, that's what the Cleveland Guardians sound like. Like, what, your, your mascot, your nickname should be some sort of fear-inspiring animal? Or... Or something that is aggressive or something that is strong. Well, like, in the look,
1: XFL, it, the New York
2: team was the Guardians, and they had a really cool, like, gargoyle-looking logo. Yeah,
0: he had these fangs and stuff. No, Guardians protect—like, come on. you. So, hey, our team our team doesn't allow things to penet, pe- penetrate our defense? Like, we, we protect hard. things? Come on. I, no, it's a terrible nickname.
2: I don't like it either, and— just sort of as a counterpoint, baseball weirdly has a lot of unimpressive and unintimidating nicknames, like their socks.
0: For God's sake. yeah, <laughs> socks are okay though. It was part of the uniform. That's how they were known. They wore their their white socks and their red socks. Plus, you get the nickname "Pale Hose," which is fantastic. True, but just just there there are a lot of unimpressive
2: team names in baseball. Like there are at least three birds that the common house cat kills
0: regularly thousands of like the blue jays and the cardinals and the orioles and stuff over the course all of, all, all year. of those things are fine none of them and also those things happened like a hundred years ago like you had an opportunity to do something new and novel and you chose guardians exactly
2: that's the thing i feel like they're forgetting here this is your nickname forever now and you chose this and it's just
0: boring okay so new that's York what appropriation. I- Yeah, that's 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 one. That's our first issue. What's the second thing we need to get to about this nickname?
2: So there's a intro video that was put out there. And for some reason, Tom Hanks is narrating it. And I could hear right away it was Tom Hanks. I double checked at the very beginning of the video. It says presented
0: by Tom Hanks and the Black Keys. And I was like, wait a second. Is Tom Hanks from Cleveland? I didn't know that. I'm not sure the Black Keys are either. And I might be wrong about this. I thought the Black Keys were Chicago. And I, I could be wrong about that because I'm not – I like the Black Keys, but I'm not an avid fan to the point that I would know where they're from. But Tom Hanks is definitely not from Cleveland. Tom Hanks was born in in, in Northern California in the East Bay in Concord. So Tom Hanks has no connection. Gump apparently needs rent money.
2: The, I, I went to Tom Hanks' Wikipedia, and I just pressed Control-F Cleveland, and I guess during his years of studying theater, he met some dude – In Cleveland, and he won the Cleveland Critics Circle Award for Best Actor in 1978 as Proteus in Shakespeare's *The Two Gentlemen of Verona*. So Tom Hanks, Cleveland, synonymous.
0: Clearly, the Black Keys are from Akron, but yeah, so Gump was part of it. At some point, Gump had to realize that this was—is it really worth the money that he's getting to do this? Like because this is overly dramatic. Like the whole thing, the whole the whole intro is extremely (laughs) strange. Here it is. Here is Forrest Gump telling us of the world's worst nickname for any professional franchise.
1: And now it's time (laughs) to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest. come together And welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always (laughs) defend it together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land because this is the city we love and the game we believe in and together we are all cleveland guardians
2: (laughs) you're from concord california
1: bro
0: what are you
2: talking
1: about? What a
0: huge whiff. Can you imagine being given that? Brand- All of the money that gets paid by corporations for branding, and that's what you come up with, the Guardians. And the the logo, one of them that I've seen is like a baseball hat that's flying with Gs on either side. Yeah. Come on.
2: I mean, that's a doctored baseball, first off, so 10-game suspension. But second, yeah, that's a lame nickname. It's a lame logo. And you had a perfect thing in front of you. Just go with the Cleveland Spiders and go with the exact same hats that you have right now. Yeah, I feel bad for Cleveland, man. That city just gets stepped on over and over. And now you got some random dude. Tom Hanks isn't a random dude. Narrating. Yeah, this is what it means. No, it's like famous dude with random. <laughs>
0: fa- famous dude with random, perhaps unverifiable connection to Cleveland, other than that they would give him a huge chunk of money to narrate a video.
2: Did Forrest Gump run through Cleveland? No, he did not. There is no way that he would have run through Cleveland when he was running across the United States of America. This is absolutely terrible. It's Danny Aguilat, Seven Ted, ESPN Seattle. There's a lot of collective freakout, Danny, going on across the National Football League. And you saw it from DeAndre Hopkins, who posted in a since-deleted tweet, never thought I would say this, but being put in a position to hurt my team because I don't want to partake in the vaccine is making me question my future in the league. Cole Beasley tweeted, nothing has changed. I'm still living freely. Good night. Because the NFL yesterday said that if teams have a COVID outbreak, that they would decide... Essentially, if there aren't enough players to play in the game, that they would cause that team to forfeit and neither team would end up earning their game check. But what's interesting to me, Danny, is while there is a collective freakout over the NFL saber rattling, I think this is flopping a pool noodle. You know, I, I don't think that the NFL is actually going to force any forfeits. I think that they're just seeing if they can get a couple more people to potentially take the vaccine. And honestly, it looks like they succeeded in the case of one DJ Reed, who we saw tweet yesterday, essentially, that yeah, I have some reservations about this, but I feel the need to do this for my teammates.
0: It's strange that it's going to take the pressure of paychecks and or pure pressure of being available to play for your teammates that are making guys who willingly risk their health as much as they do playing a game that we know has long-term health consequences but are reluctant to get something that, so much of the medical community is embracing.
2: That's a great point.
0: Players up until fairly recently routinely got Toradol shots, which is a painkiller with a lot of very known long-term potential consequences that guys did. It's it's surprising to me that this is what it took to push those players. But you definitely saw yesterday – that a number of guys feel that they've been backed into a corner and and are either going to dig their heels in like Cole Beasley and John Feliciano of the Buffalo Bills and go the full nine yards of this is a conspiracy for drug companies to make money and or they're going to sort of against their own preferences end up getting vaccinated. And I I don't think the NFL did anything wrong here. I don't think the NFL is doing anything wrong.
2: I, I don't either. I don't think they're really doing anything, period. I think they're just reinforcing, hey, this is what we did last year, and we will do it again. But the way that they're framing it, it's ingenious, because I think it is instilling a little bit of fear in some of the guys who still have reservations, because everyone wants to get paid. It's Danny and Galant. He's Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallon 710 ESPN Seattle. The Mariners are going to do something about this guy. You know, we've been doing this series. Hey, what you going to do with insert Seahawk? What are you going to do about Rafael Montero? We will discuss options next.
0: You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Perhaps we were too harsh in our reception of the Cleveland baseball team's new nickname, the Guardians. Christian Martinez tweets at us, I prefer this than the Washington football team, 10 times out of 10. I'd rather have Cleveland baseball team than the, the the Guardians. But we also did get a text from someone who is, uh, is a Seahawks fan, but has some roots in Cleveland. And he pointed out that we're actually missing a, 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 a deeper part of Cleveland's history. Said that, hey, the Guardians is a nod to the statues along the city's Hope Memorial Bridge. This banner shows that you two know nothing about this city. I'm okay. Hey, with fair that. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, I, I think Cleveland's fine. I know that its river once caught on fire. I think that that would be a better nickname, the, the Fire Cleveland Rivers. Flame. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Cleveland Rivers of Flame <laughs> than the Guardians. But 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 I get it. I don't know, and may and maybe people do like the logo. So I I want to leave that open. That maybe my sneering derision is is unbiased. Uh, is is biased I'll give you a
2: third vote that the logo's horrible. I don't mind the name as much, but the logo's awful. <laughs> it looks very triple A. When Mora comes in over the top, row you know it's not good. <laughs>
0: That's true. You know it's not good or it involves Tim Tebow. <laughs> like one, of, one of those two. <laughs> one of those two things is true. We also have uh, updates of stories this morning, including Rafael Montero's continued high level of popularity among all Mariners fans. Can't get enough of Rafael Montero. No, it's the exact opposite. He's one of the most consistent relief pitchers in the league. Unfortunately, it's been consistently giving up of runs. The Mariners lose 4-1. to There's also a new twist or a, a, a firmer news peg. This is a huge story in college football. yes. Texas and Oklahoma are, it, it sounds like it's all but a done deal that they are leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. Per
2: ESPN, Texas and Oklahoma could make their move to the SEC official in a matter of weeks. This has been confirmed by ESPN. The Austin American Statesman reported earlier this morning. A Big 12 source believed talks between the SEC and the two schools have been ongoing for more than six Months. So if this takes place in a couple of weeks, Danny, I think the natural question is, all right, well, what's next for the rest of college football? There's going to be a 16-team super conference. Are other conferences going to want to catch up? I would specifically look at the Pac-12 right now, and one of the things I was just thinking about before we got into this segment is, is it possible that the Pac-12 starts calling maybe any of the teams that are in the Big 12 about, potentially joining, I mean, it would be a weird reach. Who would you want from
0: that conference?
2: Oklahoma State is a good program. I I feel like they are a good program. They are a good program. I mean, you can't dump on.
0: They don't don't fit. They don't fit in a West Coast conference, though. Well, what does at this point in time, too, right? I mean, there are are the schools. Like, you have Gonzaga for basketball. You have Big West schools. I, I don't think those necessarily fit either. I don't see a natural fit between any Big 12 teams. There is none. I'm with you. But
2: I, I feel like if you are looking to bolster the conference as the Pac-12, especially from a football talent perspective, then I don't think it's the worst idea in the, ro- in the world to make phone calls. It would be a weird fit, though. You're not kidding. And it would make travel, I would imagine, extremely difficult for anyone that's going out there. because It's not like we're talking even about a major city. We're talking about S- Stillwater, Oklahoma.
0: The, the part of this that I find most interesting is the politics within the SEC. The politics within the SEC are fascinating because you saw it was a former university president at Texas A&M who came out and said, and he'd previously been at Missouri, that that conference has always had a gentleman's agreement, was what he said. There's always been the understanding that if the conference was going to expand and there was a school in a state that one of the members was in, that that member would have veto power. So Texas A&M, as a member of the SEC, could just stand up and say, I don't want Texas. And the rest of the conference would be obligated to, to follow that. It's very clear that has not happened. <laughs> like, it's, it's very clear because Texas A&M wants no part of this. They don't want Texas in the SEC at all. And that, that story, Paul, you said that they, they've been talking about this for six months. Like, this is very clearly something that has been in the works. Texas and Oklahoma have said they don't plan to renew the media rights agreements with the big 12 but that's not until five years from now after the 2025 season but it's really if they're gonna go that whole thing might collapse right now that entire conference might go away even if they play one final season it might not be there next year it's very clear that that the sec doesn't care how texas a&m feels about this
2: the conference is sinking and now the life rafts begin and yeah it's only a matter of time i would imagine until the conference turns into something else Entirely, because now all these other schools are going to look and say, "All right, shoot, well, what do we do now?" And um, yeah, I, I I think that too, any any talk about how it might take Texas or Oklahoma an extra time to get to the conference, Texas has a ton of money, the SEC has a ton of money. If they want to find their way out of this, I'm sure that there is an arrangement that can be reached that would allow them to get out of it earlier soon than and instead of later.
0: Let's go to a couple of different conversations cuz you brought up the Pac-12 and I hadn't initially uh, thought of that. We get a text from the 360. I currently live in Lubbock and people here are convinced Texas Tech will be in the Pac-12. The 360 also points out that the o- Oklahoma State can't join unless they change their colors. Legitimate question. Can you have two orange and black schools in the same conference? Well, Oregon State's Oregon State's yeah, color scheme I is the about same. Oregon State.
2: Well, Do one school's think, better than the other, no offense to Oregon State,
0: right? I mean, one program. Oh, don't take cheap shots better. at the Beaves. Everybody, the Beaves are everybody's favorite. Like you're right. Honest you're right. You're right, but beeves are everybody's. No nobody you can't you can't take cheap shots at the Beaves. Boise State fits in the Pac-12. I could see San Diego State fitting in the Pac-12. I I'm not wild about the idea of Colorado State or something. I I could I could see those. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced the Pac-12 needs to expand. Do you think that to compete they'll have to expand? I don't. Well, they need more good programs,
2: and you know those programs that you mentioned. I would just take a look at any conversation that's involved the Big 12 and expansion there, and how they haven't let specific schools in that they feel like would get a leg up, like the University of Houston specifically. I would wonder if they're worried about Houston
0: cheating, right? Like that's they, they I, a honestly, and I'm, I'm not I'm not being but, I'm not being facetious, or, and they're worried. Houston, when their athletic programs have been good, there's been, been rampant amazing. cheating. Oh back. yeah, no doubt about it. I, what what I'm saying is more that it's
2: partly that, but it's I think mostly they would be concerned that this conference legitimizing that program would make it easier for that program to recruit. So San Diego State maybe makes things a little bit more different, difficult for other schools in the Pac-12 that are trying to recruit in California. Maybe Boise State makes it a little bit more difficult for teams in the north side of the Pac-12 to recruit as well. So I, I would look at those two schools, and while I think that you're right, they would make a lot of sense, I think that some of the schools might look at them as perhaps being competitive disadvantages where a team from Oklahoma or a team from Texas, like Texas Tech or Oklahoma State, wouldn't necessarily
0: be that. I would not listen to that objection. Like, that sounds like one of those sort of weak objections. I'd be like, toughen up. Boise State makes sense from a geographic standpoint.
2: And because they're good at football,
0: yes. Right. Like, bring them in. And if that makes it tougher for some people to recruit or it gives them more inroads somewhere, tough. Be better than them. The the idea that you can't compete with Boise State because they're (laughs) in the pack. Like, yeah, okay, you, you, you you need to get better. That's a you problem. The the question of adding someone like Oklahoma State, because Oklahoma State would clearly add to the quality of the conference. Yeah, no doubt. Both both basketball and football. Yes. It might be one of the best in each. It doesn't feel right to me. It's not But what it's feels Oklahoma, right anymore, you know? Like well, this is the but worst that's part the about it. It doesn't you don't have to follow other conferences when they start doing dumb stuff. Like Rutgers as part of the Big Ten? That makes no sense at all.
2: But they thought that they were getting the New York market, and they hyped that up. And honestly, whoever was at Rutgers and made that sell job happen, good job by you. Because, yes, you convinced some people in the Midwest that I've never been to the East Coast and didn't realize how far away Rutgers actually is from uh, New York. Not to mention how
0: irrelevant it is in that area. So West Virginia in the Big 12? Makes no sense. Like, don't start doing dumb things. Don't start making the sort of moves that are stupid and don't make sense for your conference.
2: But none of these, this is the problem, though. It, it, none of these things are going to make sense, I think, as as this continues to swirl. It's going to turn into a bunch of super conferences, and we're not even necessarily going to be talking about, like, geographical sens- sensibilities or even authentic rivalries from back in the day.
0: I'm a Pac-12 fan. That's what I like most. I like Pac-12 football. I like Pac-12 basketball. Those are my primary things. I don't I don't see the advantage of becoming a super conference if it changes the nature of the conference. I'm
2: with you there, but does the Pac-12
0: love itself? Especially What?
2: It's, <laughs> well, given its standing in college football these days, doesn't that make sense? I mean, does it no. love itself? They are an afterthought. They're not. A, yes. So I mean, if you're. Looking but I don't at know. If, I don't know
0: if bringing Oklahoma schools in in fixes it. There, there's more to talk about this year because I get what Paul's saying is that they're not relevant on a national scale and they might be in danger of becoming more irrelevant. But I, I we'll have to dig more. We'll bring in Michael Bumpus. He can join us for the next hour on Danny and Gallant.